There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. A dimension of sound. For the 158th time, you are not getting out of here. Please let me finish the Count of Monte Cristo. A dimension of sight. No change at all. What? I, I think I look fine. A dimension of mind. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to The Fifth Dimension, a Twilight Zone podcast. I am back as your host, Nick Lapola. And uh, I'm here with Triv. How you doing, Triv? And not doing too bad. I, I'm feeling quite heavenly today, if I'm being honest. I know. You look like you may have some kind of a uh, glow, maybe a little bit of uh, haloness to you. Uh, I am not pregnant. <laughs> There's no glow here. <laughs> um, okay, we'll go with uh, you have a ring around your... <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. I don't know, and I feel like I should leave now. <laughs> uh, as I walk away... Through the spinning twirlix of the vortex. <laughs> <laughs> so we are back for the second episode, which is uh season one, episode two, one for the angels. Um, so we're in our second episode. Hopefully it'll be a little bit better than the first episode, which was a complete fall off the cliff type of episode because it was our first episode, period. But um overall, how do you feel about the first episode? How do you feel about, you know, coming into the second episode, talking about more Twilight Zone? How was your overall opinion of how we uh accomplished the first episode? Uh well, we both we proved that we're both quite tangent driven. And I think Jacob Anders yes. would be proud of us <laughs> for the amount of tangents we went on. <laughs> well, we'll find out in a couple of weeks. So Woo-hoo! Yeah. Spoilers. Uh Oh yeah, yeah. Well, maybe he may he may go. Uh, you guys suck. I'm not ever talking to you again. Let me go uh, talk about the Candyman. So. <laughs> also good. <laughs> exactly. That in itself could be some kind of a Twilight Zone episode, if we're being honest. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, a lot ne- of horror action. Nia Lacosta pro- or directed, but Jordan Peele produced. You know, you got the Twilight Zone connection there. So. That's true. Very true. And uh, if you think about horror in general, if you kind of break it down, horror in its own right is kind of like the Twilight Zone. There's a really kind of crazy scenario with a very crazy character, a very odd presentation, and uh, usually a ending that doesn't fit up with the norm when it comes to filmmaking. So I like it. That's you... why we like the Twilight Zone. Exactly. And uh <laughs> That's kind of like uh, your last video you just posted of the stuff. Yes. <laughs> Things get weird quick. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's uh, been a pretty crazy week. Um, you just posted a new video as of this recording. By the time we this video gets posted, <laughs> your video will be like a week old. But it was one of those things where it's easy to record like a week in advance. So in case anything comes up, like, you know, Twilight Zone ask or, you know, I go off the rails and kind of lose my sanity. Um, we just have a week to get back into <laughs> our rightful moods. But or if I get flooded by the stuff randomly, which you never know might happen. <laughs> Isn't that what the halo is? It's actually just the stuff coming out of your, your head there, I, out of I, your uh, hair. I feel like it might be, or maybe like, I, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm going with, yeah, I, I got flooded and then taken over by the stuff. And this is all that's left of me is the, the halo. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, with that said, I've had an interesting week. I uh, was in the shower, uh, had a little slip and fall hurt my ankle pretty bad that was fun that's just on the twilight zone episode there how's Ouch. nick gonna ruin his <laughs> how's nick gonna ruin his ankle this week <laughs> uh, uh, yeah kids don't don't hurt your ankle but um by the time this video posts i'll have posted a thousand youtube videos which is pretty crazy including this twilight zone podcast well, congratulations that that's a massive accomplishment like you, you're like 10 times what i am man i'm not sure how to feel about that or i'm just like lost so much uh so much time not sleeping that uh no wonder why i fall in the tub and hurt my ankle because i'm too busy doing youtube videos so you need to get those like sticky pad things you know get it in the shape of a swirly thing like the twilight zone i need to do something <laughs> not about getting a, a pad to put down there like the not the non-slip like thing that your grandmother gets you know when you were young <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> well, you know, speaking of, you know, you were able to get back up and, and so you mm-hmm. had one, you, you know, the angels were on your side, maybe. Exactly. Exactly. 
And um, so after the first episode of the, actually, let me rephrase it. Let me go back a second. So with that said, um, our podcast, as you can tell, is usually about the Twilight Zone. It's about the original OG series. Uh, we'll go week by week talking about each episode. You know, maybe take a break here or there if like Christmas or something like that. You know, if we you know, celebrate the holiday. But um, with that said, you know, we are into the second episode of the first season. And this is an episode that is more on par to me personally with what Twilight Zone will eventually become, which is a structured narrative, a structured closing narrative, a plot that feels right in line with what Rod Sterling would do later on in his series. And uh, is an episode that not only was better position better narrated better well written i guess that it felt like a overall better episode but with that said this was an episode that you were really looking forward to because you said you really enjoyed this episode the last week when we talked right oh yeah it's one of my faves i am a big fan like you can do you know you know the the last man on earth level ones and things like that but Mm -hmm. i don't know not that not that this is a more down-to-earth story by any stretch but just it feels a little bit more complex, even though it's not the, the ones that kind of pull at your heartstrings and the quirky and funny ones are always kind of my faves. It's an episode that really shows the kind of um, somber slash lighthearted nature of what some of the things that Rod certainly could do as a writer. Cause sometimes he would go very heavy handed on his stories, but sometimes he would take like a game of pool or something like that. And he would turn it into a, a story about, a guy that learns his lesson but has the chance to uh become something better or prove his worth i guess you could say which is what this episode in the end is all about is a guy who never really had a chance to prove his worth and he was always loved but he finally gets that chance when he gets to do the ultimate pitch later on in the story so oh very much so and the like episodes like this and if you've ever seen the show scrubs it's really funny and then Mm -hmm. it has kind of the emotional gut punch at the end this is kind of not that this is like it's not it's not a gut punch per se but it does have that emotional resonance that goes a little deeper than just the you know guy steps on his glasses and can't you know read any books because you know terrible things that happen so that is an episode that i am really looking forward to talking about and is only like i think it's the first season episode eight nice boy howdy that is uh that has a devastating ending to that episode so it is very much uh but, but this episode <laughs> what's yeah yeah i just wanted to read that's all <laughs> i wanted in my life oh man so one for the angels like i said season one episode two it uh, premiered on october 9th 1959 a week later uh once again directed by robert parish uh written, this actually was the first episode written directed by Oh, I'm sorry. This time, no, no. The first episode was directed by Robert Stevens. This one was directed by Robert Parrish. Uh, written once again by Rod Serling, who will do most of the episodes in his entire run of you know the Twilight Zone. Uh, shot by George T. Clemens and stars Edwin as Lou, Maury Hamilton as Mr. Death. We'll talk about that in a second. And Dana Dillaway as Maggie, who's that young kid that we see in the episodes. So you said you had some trivia on this episode. Yeah, so um, it was specifically written for Edwin because Rod Serling considered him a friend, um, but it was supposed to be done by like a fast-talking pitch man, but the way that mm. Edwin spoke was more slow and deliberate. So yeah. they kind of played it a different way to make it work, but it, it worked all the same pretty well, I think. So uh, Mr. Depp notes that um, Edwin's parents were born in Detroit and Sycamore, or sorry, Syracuse. And those were actually the hometown of Rod Serling's parents. Right, right. And this, like, um, like, uh, where is everybody was based on a, a previously, like, it was done under a different name previously. So he rewrote it to be the way that it was for Edwin. Before that, it was um, kind of the same basic idea, but it was um, done from the perspective of a pair of hitmen instead of, you know, like an old pitch man and then his, you know, a young girl that he, you know, that that likes him so yeah the one thing that was really interesting about the episode and we'll get into the actual meat and potatoes of it is how kids are used in most of the episodes you know sometimes you have them as helions 
who are you know able to control and do things like in that what's that that young kid episode where oh yeah bill bill yeah. Mooney or m- m- yeah m-u-n yeah Mooney? yeah the, the yeah the pro the problem child basically yes. <laughs> and a lot of them are like these where they show kind of the uh sweet natured look into somebody like uh, like an edwin character the lou character who really loved the kids around him who give toys similar to like the robbie the robot from lost in space yep it's really kind of heartbreaking like what happens to her and what mr death you know is going to do but it was nice to see her kind of pull through in in the end i guess you could say but um i do have thoughts see. on that part but i'll when we mm. get down to analysis i'll i'll talk a little bit more about that so um uh, it actually says mr death actually appears in season three. Oh, nice well you know the so, the twilight zone is not immune to death just like any other place isn't that's the truth there's a lot of that going on in these episodes sometimes it's uh it's funny how he's he's willing to go sweet and saccharine and then go straight into the hardcore <laughs> violent <laughs> people destroying and killing each other it's sometimes i wonder what day uh ron certainly was uh smoking too many cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> well you know uh death um, can be molded to fit a narrative i guess <laughs> yeah exactly it's funny i was uh I was, when i was watching those behind the attractions videos um the one thing about like really creative people is they smoked a lot of cigarettes and they probably uh, special cigarettes too maybe, maybe so. <laughs> if you've ever seen Mad Men, you know what kind of <laughs> cigarettes they were smoking so yes the good kind exactly so one for the angels starts out with of course the opening narration to it's written by and uh, narrated by Rod certainly and what's really cool is I don't know if he does this later on but what's really cool is he starts the narration out with a script style opening where he's like street scene or interior exterior street mm-hmm. scene summer the present or 1959 present or whatever you want to say and he basically says man on a sidewalk named Lou Bookman age 60-ish we actually find out he was born you know he's like 65 or whatever occupation pitchman which becomes important lou book lou bookman a fixture of the summer a rather minor component to a hot july a nondescript commonplace a nondescript commonplace little man whose life is a treadmill built out of sidewalks and in just a moment lou bookman will have to concern himself with survival because because as of three o'clock this after hot july afternoon he'll be stalked by percussions Mr. Death. Dum, dum, dum. So, <laughs> so what makes it really interesting is the whole setup here and the fact that we give Mr. Death or Death himself a persona similar to Joe Black, meet Joe Black, uh, you know, the Brad Pitt character. And he is played by Maury Hamilton, who you might remember as the mayor from Jaws, which I thought was kind of interesting. That is very interesting. And yeah, it brings up the whole fact that uh, Maury Hamilton must be playing Mr. Death in Jaws because he gets a lot of people killed in that series <laughs> or in that movie. So it makes a lot of sense. Yes. But <laughs> he didn't say close the sidewalks. No, no. He said, We're opening the beaches and we're going to let little kids get eaten. No. He has a, he has a, <laughs> he has a penage for uh, killing kids and things he's in, apparently. Well, he was pushed uh, to kill a kid in this particular <laughs> respect, but, uh, or no. so he says so crazy yes so i did take a little bit of notes for this one uh, which i should have done to begin with but uh in the last episode um but like i said it opens with serling's narration uh we see robbie the robot which is of course lost in space i think robbie robots from lost in space yep that he is he also um, appeared in a couple of other b movies kind of throughout that era like he was kind of a stand-in yes. robot for a lot of stuff yeah he's basically like they found him in a warehouse and he's like oh we'll just use him in everything it's kind of like what star wars does now yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, but um basically this episode revolves around a guy named lou bookman really interesting name played by edward edwin who is a really sweet individual he's a really he's one of those people you would see on the side of the street selling you a watch but would be so persuasive in his selling that you just couldn't get enough of him but his main problem is he can't find he's gone through most of his life kind of being poor he's lived in the same room for you know pretty much all his life yep. 20 years or is that what it was yep and he talks to the same people every day he's always hangs around the kids some reason 
he keeps giving kids all the free stuff, you know, giving them like free robots and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is probably why you have no money. You're just giving free stuff away, you know? And then he repairs <laughs> so, it too, as we see a little bit later. So. Yeah. It's like charge this kid like 20 bucks or something. I mean, it is a 50. It's charging like Aww. a quarter. <laughs> I'm kidding. You need to have your heart like <laughs> melted a little bit there, I think. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, you're like the get. I guess you are 84 <laughs> years old. Then, if if we go by what your what your stuff says, damn know. kids, damn <laughs> kids, my lawn, you damn kids. <laughs> See, this is um, why I have the halo and you don't. <laughs> uh, I'm like uh Kenny from South Park. Little boy, you're going to hell. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> But we see we see the opening to Lou Bookman. Like I said, he's a good natured individual, and he has a problem. He finishes up for the day, and there is Murray Hamilton's Mister Death in his apartment. Now I don't know how you feel about the character in hindsight or in general, but I think it's a very interesting take on a character that, of Death himself. You know, Death is one of those characters that, in generality, there is no real thing that is death there's no you know personification of who he is it's just what we happens to us when we die but giving him a personification like a personified of you know guy in a black suit with a tie who holds a notebook or notepad who basically has to follow a timetable a time set or as he puts it time will go out of flux and stuff like that so i guess the question is when we first see Mr. Death, not even on the steps, but when we first see him in the apartment, he's explaining everything to Lou at first. And Lou's like, I don't know, you know, it's kind of just, he's kind of, you know, out there with the information. Mm -hmm. What's your overall feeling of his character when you first meet him? When you first meet him, he comes off as very kind of like official and, and very much mm -hmm. like very strict, you know, I guess kind of a gent, you know, he follows the rules. There's no room for anything, but then you get Lou talking to him and it kind of mm -hmm. breaks his, breaks the ice. And, you know, he, yeah. like when they're talking through the, the various reasons that, you know, someone could gain um, like an extension to not have to, to die. I, I think the fact that Lou didn't like, it, it's kind of an interesting thing because Lou didn't, and I guess I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, but mm -hmm. Lou, Lou, he tried to like weasel his way out of it, but it was done yeah. in a very straight, like an honest way. He's like, well, you know, I'm not a, I don't have, I don't have any, you know, loved ones around, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you know, it, it was, you know, everything he did, you know, he was trying to be honest about it, even though it was exaggerated. He's like, oh, yes. I've never, I've never ridden in a helicopter. I've, I've never seen, <laughs> um, never seen whatever the, the, um, group of, uh, whatever um tribe it was yeah it's, it's it's really strange it's really interesting because the one thing we always always talk about when we get near the end of our life especially when we know we're going to go at some point is how we didn't accomplish things that we wanted to do for instance you know if i went through my whole entire life and i never never got out of the country i'm gonna be like one day i'm gonna be like oh man i wish i had gone to england or italy it's that type of mentality where you realize that your last days are coming up and you see something like this and you see the personification of death himself. He's coming here. He's pulling, holding out his hand. He's like, I'm taking you with me. We're going to go to some <laughs> other place. <laughs> Who knows where he's like, I'm going to take my suitcase with me, but we're going to go to some other place. And <laughs> it's just, it's a, it's a scary, you can tell on Lou's face that he's like scared to death that he doesn't want to go. He doesn't feel like he's made that, so-called perfect pitch which i when i said one for the angels i thought about when he said perfect pitch i'm like is he talking about he wants to pitch for the los angeles angels i mean what is and i realized angels haven't been you know a team yet but uh but yeah when you first see death he's very he he's very straightforward he's very formal he's not like you know william william sad or he's kind of like william sadler's death and bill and ted where instead <laughs> of playing games he's like you're going to blah 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 but what yeah, makes this God. Oh, I was gonna say I, I really I really wanted to see Mr. Death play um Twister or chess with uh with Edwin. I think that would have been hilarious. That would have been ridiculously funny. Oh my god, I think would have broken people's brains. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Especially when they made uh I think they made didn't William Sadler's character was he like wasn't he a German descent death or something like that? I think so. Yeah. Like he was, 
<laughs> so funny. I mean, it was based um, off of uh, Seven Seal, but that's another thing. So yeah, yeah, it's funny that like in this episode, most things when you see death, and this is even like The Simpsons or Family Guy, death is always in this like cloak with this scythe, and he usually it's all he's usually wearing. Sometimes he wears shoes, sometimes he doesn't. But in here. Rod Sterling's personifies death as just a man in a suit, just doing his <laughs> daily duty. He's like he's like the guy that comes out of like Beetlejuice, just in the <laughs> the workforce. And it, it feels like such a sad, depressing job that he's like, ah, I gotta take another person away. And he goes and has his death beer later on, and talks to his death wife and little death kids, and it's like, yeah, this guy sold me a whole bunch of shit. Now we have a whole bunch of ties and. <laughs> well, it's nonsensical nonsense but hey, you know he could use another tie or two i mean can you got to have a yeah. little bit of distraction from the black i, I will say exactly. I, I think i think for the time like he wanted what i took it as um for that time you know you think about your basic work you know your basic guy that that does an office job the black suit the black tie the white shirt you know the very very straight hair i'm assuming that that's probably pretty kind of an everyman so that's probably what they were kind of going for with with death was they they wanted him not to stand out in a crowd, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and you know, of course, you know, the young girl doesn't see him when she comes in because her she broke her toy after five seconds and typical kid. You know, <laughs> death actually reminds me a lot of like it's gonna sound kind of weird, maybe a little jokish, but okay. um, if you ever watch like pink floyd's the wall or you like the another brick in the wall or you watch joe versus the volcano that's what death seems like to me he seems like the kind of guy who just goes on his day by day you know appointment by appointment and by the end of this movie by the end of the series or this episode he's done what joe has done he's dropped out the volcano blasted out into the ocean or whatever <laughs> and kind of seen a new light and uh i thought that was kind of interesting but you know like i said the little kid comes in was her name maggie or whatever her name mm-hmm. is maggie polanski why why they actually gave her a name i don't know they should just call her little girl but she comes in she you know the toy broken all the good stuff and what's really interesting is unlike you know quantum leap she doesn't see the invisible man you know she doesn't see the owl who has the you know is his guide you know sam's guide from quantum leap it's mm-hmm. the girl doesn't see anything you know usually when you're which makes it kind of interesting because when you're a kid or a dog or an animal or something like that you usually see the ghost or they it's been not i don't know if it's true or not but they they have theories that kids because they're so innocent they see things like that and for her not to see death is really a fascinating kind of interesting concept until she gets hit by the car later on right so yeah i don't know i don't know how you if you thought about that when you're watching these are kind of things i think about when i'm watching i'm like oh that's kind of interesting so i don't know if you that came up to you or i'm assuming that they probably didn't have her see death from the get-go because of the fact of of how how the things go for her later if she could see him Mm. before and then see him later i I think that's probably it would have been a little weird um Mm. just from that perspective and as far as the name thing i think it probably because no other kid there obviously had a name since she was special from the start you you can tell that there's something that's going to happen with her one way or the other you know, it's like, yeah. you know, so many extras, like it's man in crowd or man at bar or per chicken bathtub, you know, it's, it, it's, <laughs> I don't know. Why, that's just what I chicken bathtub, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, you know, if, if someone has a name like, you know, Jorge and, you know, it's even though they might have like no lines, but they're, you know, always in the background of a shot. I'm sure that probably plays in that gives you the significance of where they're at as a character. It's actually funny because when Lou is sitting on the steps with the kids, he hands two toys to a boy and girl. And I'm thinking those other kids are like, where the hell's my toy at? <laughs> you gave two toys out and the rest of us are, what are we, broke assholes? I mean, like, what's going on here? Well, they were supposed um, to do something with ice cream later. So I'm assuming that uh, those kids probably wouldn't get ice cream that all day. They'd have to eat their toys or something. <laughs> eat <the> toy. <laughs> <laughs> it's your daily intake of plastic, damn it. so with that said um we move into the point where mr death is like we don't as you said earlier we make sometimes make exceptions if it's something really big and lou trying to get out of the situation is coming up with every scenario possible he's talking about he's talking about oh i want to fly and then he comes up with he wants to create the ultimate pitch one for the angels which is what the episode title is 
And in the process of everything, death is like, nope, that's not going to work. You're going to go at midnight. <laughs> and then, and then some reason death gets, grows a conscious, which is really interesting and strange, which I thought was a little on the goofy side, but I can see why Lou started to have an effect on him. You know, you stand around somebody long enough, they're going to rub off in you in some form or fashion, I guess you can say. And he, as you aware, see, he offers them the ability to find that perfect pitch, but Lou takes it too far. And uh, as we see when they're going to actually, it's a, I think that's probably my favorite scene in this episode is when he's walking down the steps and death is trying to explain to him that he has to do this. Now he doesn't have unlimited ability. And um, you know, as we hear the little girl gets hit by a car somehow is takes a very long time to die but or she's taking too she's taking a long time to she's like talking to him and stuff like that but i mean what was your overall take on that portion of that episode um well when when lou talks about the perfect pitch and all that stuff and Mm -hmm. then it feels like when i first saw this and even when i because it's been a while since i've seen it um i was sitting there watching it and it's like oh you know death kind of comes off as like this he knows all the tricks like he's seen everything but yet lou kind of subverts him and you know kind of kind of pulls a gotcha on him basically <laughs> and then you know he shuts the door in his face and he's like shit he, he got me so then you know he's walking down the stairs and he's like hey you know you can't do that that's that's not the way this works i'm you know still gonna take you and then to prove the point you go outside and the you know, and Maggie is hit by a car, which a couple things on the car thing. Why do people always move people that have been hit by a car? It's like, don't move the damn necks. Why, why, why would you do that? That's just, and, and I, and then later, like, you know, oh, she's in the, she's, you know, gonna, we don't know if she's going to survive the night. She's a very sick girl. It's like, why isn't she in a neck, neck brace? It, it's like, she's not suffering from a cold or pneumonia. She got hit by a freaking truck. Two yeah, you think he was- <laughs> You think you're just hearing like a full body cast and something yeah. like that, you know? <laughs> uh, I understand that for the fifties, you, you couldn't show someone in, you know, like blood and, and guts and all that stuff, but like you, you could put her like, I don't know, in a hot, I, I don't know. I guess things were probably done differently back then, but I just like the, the verbiage that the doc used just didn't really work very well. <laughs> yeah it's just it's it's a really i mean it's like you say it's the 50s late 50s going early 60s you know uh dennis hopper hasn't taken lsd yet so we haven't (laughs) fully hit the 60s but um that's always been my quote-unquote problem with the series is the unwillingness sometimes to push the boundaries of what you're willing to do and it's just the nature of you know the time and when it came out but it's just like you like I said last week, you can really tell the sense that Rod certainly wants to push the envelope, but he's so hamstrung by oh here here's a here's a United States that can't handle you know a little bit of violence or a little bit of nudity because it will cause the parents to go outrage and you know well, it's just. I- I can see it. I mean, you're talking about a kid. You're talking about an eight year old. No, I know. There's, I know. In this particular respect, I can see why they kept it. They 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 gave the the fact they implied the fact that it happened and you know i mean look at hitchcock you know his best stuff was you know for as great as psycho is i would argue that his best stuff are the things that imply violence or imply trauma more than actually showing it and in this I case mean, i how- mean the, the damn thing is called it's one for the angels you don't want it maggie is a is a is a means to an end more than she's an actual yeah. you know she she's she's yeah she's not really what you call a character she is a kind of plot device in the end she doesn't really have any purpose outside of forcing lou to kind of come to terms with the fact that he is coming to the end of his life basically which is what makes it really sad to think about but you know it's um like your favorite one of your favorite hitchcock movies rope where it's never it's never said it's never shown that the guy was killed but it's implied that he's in the cabinet it's implied that you know they kill him and they put him in that little cabinet so it's the same type of thing i guess you could say oh yeah talk about like hitchcock and stuff like that oh yeah yeah definitely uh, less is more in some cases and my like i said my 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 issues are are very surface level i mean it's grand scheme those are not things i mean we're putting more emphasis on it than they probably did at the time and they might have written more in but the idea was that 
you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was about Maggie, but it wasn't about Maggie. She has the same yeah. amount of significance as his suitcase, as far as like the, it plays an important role in the story, but it's not the main story. Right. The, the overall justification for this episode is what do we do when we come to the end of our days? How do we view our life? Did we do everything we wanted to do? And were we satisfied with how our life ended? And that, that to me personally is the overarching theme of this episode is did we, did we accomplish what we wanted to do? Are we happy? You know, did you travel the world? Did you become famous? Did you do what you do? Were you happy just being a guy in the street who never really succeeded or did you want more? And that's basically what Lou wanted. He wanted to be the guy who had that one significant moment in his life where he, like he says to Mr. Death, he wanted to open up the heavens, which is, you know, think about Apple or Amazon or any of these big companies. They had that one moment that created such a cataclysmic event that caused the heavens or the skies to open that everybody took notice. And, you know, that's what he wanted here. And, you know, when he sees the you know as when he sees the girl dying and not to get like too depressing but when he sees the girl dying and he's trying to adhere to death and death's like you made your choice this is the choice that you make you yeah. have to accept the choice and um you see that he's like here's what i'll do let me pitch let me have that one pitch i'll pitch it to you and um as we see what happens he makes death basically buy his whole entire lot which i thought was hilarious because you see like all the sweat coming down murray hamilton's face and stuff like that but you know what do you what do you think about like all that and all that good stuff you know with you know what happens to him and the overall arching story and you know well, I, I i agree with you and i don't agree with you I, I think he did like initially he wanted that one big pitch but i mm. i think in the end of it it was more about the sacrifice that he made for Maggie, you know, it was, it okay. was taking, you know, he, he got off scot-free. He could have let her die. He could have gone on living and, and not worried about it, but it wouldn't, you know, you're talking about the life of a kid versus the life of mm -hmm. someone in their late sixties. You know, he, for all of the things that he could have done with all that time that he gained for himself, he, mm -hmm. you know, sacrificed himself so she could live, you know, he held, you know, because the, the thing with the big pitch was it wasn't so much for his glory. It was to hold off death until after midnight. So things went, so he was, so death, you know, couldn't collect. And, yeah, that's true. And it saved, it saved her. And in the grand scheme, you know, that's what raised him in the eyes of, you know, he even offered his soul there at the end. Like, you know, he pitched him ties and uh, he started just listing off products like, like thread and, and, sunscreen and all this stuff and then he's like the last thing is a one-of-a-kind item my soul you have me as as your as your you know servant to do whatever you want and then all of a sudden midnight strikes death misses out on getting uh maggie and he's like yeah you like that <laughs> he, he won the game of battleship he did <laughs> You know what the best part about the ending, though, is he may, I don't know if you noticed, but he says to Death, he's like, am I going, he points up, am I going there? And Death's like, yep, yep, you are, because the good nature spirit of what he did. Because I think because what I I, I don't believe in the whole life, like death and you know life after death and stuff like that. But I think what they were also maybe trying to go for is maybe he was soul was maybe not as clean after he tricked Death into agreeing to that one moment and then at the end he kind of kind of made himself into a more positive light i don't know if they if you agree with that at all yeah. but that's kind of why when you I see guess. him point up to the sky it's like death is like yeah so yeah and i i'm not sure i guess i he always had a good rapport with kids and i guess depending upon where your mind sits on what what would qualify one to be able to go to heaven or hell um mm. they really didn't talk about it before that but i you know, he lived a, he lived a pretty small life. He was, you know, just a guy on the street. Um, but he was always good to the folks around him. And it's even said in the end, um, uh, prologue or the epilogue kind of that he was, you know, a, a good guy that people loved. So I don't know if it was so much a question of that, obviously tricking death would put you on not the side of the angels as much, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that the fact that he asked, I think showed that he was truly ready. 
to go. Because he right, um, it actually says it in the narrative. It says in the plot synopsis. It says he looks to death, adding, "Hopefully, up there." And death replies, "Up there, Mister Bookman, you made it." So I kind of think that maybe kind of signifies that he, as you said, accepted it as well as realized that he made the right choice and just doing what he needed to do to let her live and stuff like that so exactly exactly he chose the side of angels exactly you imagine if he um if he hadn't everything hadn't like worked out you see like the ending of like cabin in the woods where all the creatures start coming out of the out of the ground and shit all of a sudden all the robots start attacking and they're like (laughs) they pin him down like gulliver's travel style and (laughs) This is actually the episode that uh, breaks out the whole Twilight Zone universe, where that's why the gremlins on the side of the plane, and you have the the nickel <laughs> thing, and you have the aliens start to messing with the people in Maple Street. It's all because Lou decided he was going to wait till after midnight to make death realize. So <laughs> he created several paradoxes right then and there. <laughs> exactly, several multiverses. No. But... <laughs> <laughs> Does that explain why Burgess Meredith appeared in so many episodes? Maybe he, he may be the uh, maybe the watcher, the guy who <laughs> is <laughs> a, the central focal point. <laughs> oh, there you go. I like it. <laughs> oh man! But the episode closes with uh, Louis J. Bookman, age sixty-ish. Although the nice thing about this, and they're walking away, it's similar to like uh, um, Casablanca. Casablanca. Yeah, I was just waiting for the cigarette to be pulled out and. This is the this is the start of a start of a new friendship or some shit. Yeah. Well, and the fact that um, they like you never know if he can sell stuff to folks up up there. I think that's that's so yeah. great. It's it's just yeah, exactly. It's got that cheeky kind of ending, and I don't know. I, I I'd like to well, think was, that. Oh, good. No, no, no. Go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say I I think um I, I think from the start like when death you know when when that facade cracked on death and he kind of saw Lou as someone that was a little different like the fact that they kind of went off and did their thing i i'd like to hope that maybe they you know were partners and stuff and did did stuff you know it's um it's also funny because i expected like their their personas to be like uh field of dreams where they disappear but they just kept walking walking into the night oh, so that was <laughs> kind of interesting it's like it's like i'm like aren't you guys dying aren't you dead walk off like the field of dreams look back is this heaven no, this is Iowa. <laughs> Technically, I think it was New York, but <laughs> oh, is is this heaven? No, this is the New York. Damn it! Get your hot dog, your pizza. <laughs> damn it! I prefer uh... Chicago style pizza. <laughs> All of a sudden, a cornfield appears in the middle of like downtown New York, stopping traffic. <laughs> All of a sudden, you see Lou turn back, and it's actually Joe Pesci. What do I look like? Uh, what do I look like? A, a pitchman to you? What am I selling you, Robbie the Robots here? What the f- do you think I'm doing? Oh, uh, I kept thinking too, like they called him Mr. Death, and all I could think, Mr. Uh, Death was my father. Just call me Death. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good very much um <laughs> the closing narration louis j bookman age 60-ish occupation pitchman formerly a fixture of the summer from a rather minor component to a hot july but throughout his life a man beloved by the children and therefore a most important man couldn't happen you say probably not in most places but it did happen in the twilight zone and uh yeah it's like it's interesting because it starts out here's a man this is what he does and then in the end it's like a eulogy it's like here was a man this is what he did this is how important he was and it's kind of um i want to say a little heartwarming because a lot of times when you hear about a eulogy when you're at a you know a wake or a funeral there's this point where they talk about the person like yeah this man was or this man or woman did this blah 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 they're good nature they're good you know good to people or at least they hopefully they were good to people they you know tried very hard and that's what it feels like here where it's a man who even though he was just a pitchman he was just a guy selling robbie the robot toys in the end he was very important to the people around him and therefore as he said a most important man so i thought that was kind of interesting it really it really sets the tone of who this character was as a guy even though going off to his final wherever 
he was still a guy that's always going to be remembered as the man that you know loved what loved the people around him i guess yeah no agreed i think that's a good synopsis for it and i didn't think about the eulogy thing but that that is it is pretty right on yeah i mean most of the time it's uh most of the time it's rod sterling going this guy or this woman or this robot it didn't know what it was doing with itself be careful what you wish for you're in the twilight zone or something like that absolutely but he is such a way with words like the way he it's poetic it kind of it kind of both introduces you and finishes stuff off and just he just he does it so well yeah it's um it's interesting that the i don't i don't know if a lot of tv shows were doing this at the time but just having narrations really helps the sense of the viewer who might be a little pondering things it helps them maybe get a some kind of conclusion or some kind of uh a way to settle what they think about the episode a way for them to kind of move past the episode to the next episode so it's really interesting that he would go on there and talk about you know here's this this and this this is what you can ponder about was say you know a man loses glasses you know had all the time in the world and now he has nothing and it makes you kind of ponder you know certain aspects of maybe your life or you know how you view somebody else's life and that's a very poignant thing to do and a very poignant thing to say and you know I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how if any other shows really did this that were, you know, not news station shows or something like that. But it's a really kind of interesting way to do um an opening and closing to your show and to give some insight into, you know, how you view the world, I guess. That makes sense. Of the, of the ones that I know, like I know like you always had the OG Star Trek did that, like with the um and they did Star Date, da 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 and gave yeah. you the intro. I mean, Batman, regarded that was quite a few years later, did that. Um, I guess I, I didn't watch enough like stuff from that era, but I would think that because this is not the same characters week to week, you'd almost have to have something just to give you a little bit of background on, on what's upcoming. You know, you yeah. only had 25 minutes to tell a story and not that these stories were, you know, the most in-depth of things, but I, you'd probably need a little something extra to make sure people understood what was going on. Yeah, I mean that's that's 100% possible, you know, as it, it's it's a way to get yourself in the story, have some kind of context at the beginning, have a little bit of context at the end. I like I said to me personally, I always felt the ending narration was a way to ponder maybe something about the episode that maybe could be useful in your life in some form or you know, viewing this person in a specific light, trying to think about the whole idea and concepts and I don't know. It's really interesting to be honest. Oh, very much so. Well, and I think like we've been talking theories and things like that, you know, mm. Rod Serling, if he was still around would, you know, could say I meant this or I meant that, but it does, you know, it, it gives you a base to know how you feel about it, how you interpret it versus what someone else sees. Yeah, it's true. Very true. Like I said, theories and ideas are different from person to person or at least i attempt to tell people that when i do an ending explains but they don't really listen but Uh, it's a joy of people (laughs) but yeah overall i think it's a very a very down to earth very sweet episode i think it's very somber and it's overall narrative of a guy who's basically going to his final conclusion uh but it has some things along the way that you can interpret as something you maybe to me personally like i said i know you had your your little bit of disagreements with it which is perfectly all right <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing like i said I don't, that's perfectly all right I, oh them fighting like, words right there i bring <laughs> it on come on over here <laughs> no but like i said you know it, you know what you were saying actually made a lot of sense but i just like i like i like simple facts of you know looking at a story like this and you have interpretation of it and i have interpretation of it like i said i think it's you know the whole idea of you know how do we view ourselves in the end and how what do we do as a last ditch effort to try to save ourselves but realizing that maybe we can do something to save someone else and oh yeah i don't know yeah in the end it's about what we do as our final moments that affect the people around us 100 percent, very much so um but with that said that is the episode it's uh once again it's not like the most complex episode but it has a lot of meaning a lot of grace behind it and uh has some great performances like i said 
the conversations between death and Lou were absolutely fantastic. Um, the girl, little girl stuff could, it's, it's more of a plot device than anything. I'm not blaming the little girl because she was just given the direction she was given. She's probably, you know, it was like, Oh mommy, I get to be in a TV episode. And <laughs> I, I get run over by a car. She's probably got the biggest trailer of all of them demanded like only green M&Ms, you know, <laughs> he's like mommy they wouldn't give me my peanut butter and jelly sandwich so i threw a tamper tantrum and and then i got hit by a car and that's how i got written off the series and the series was supposed to be about me <laughs> mm, man. damn old man i will say one of the real quick thing and this is this is kind of random but i love the fact that um it struck like a minute past midnight and like the little Robbie, the robot on her side table started like walking around when she wakes up. Oh. It's like everything kind of came back to life. That's actually ironically funny too, because in, um, I don't, I don't think Spielberg did this on purpose, but in close encounters of the third kind, when the aliens start arriving and they take the little kid, all the little toys and stuff start moving on their own. And I think there's actually a Robbie, there's, there's a robot that looks like Robbie, the robot that is actually in that scene. If I remember right. So oh God, it's been so long since I've seen it. No, I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember the like robots and the fire engines like that. And as we know, Spielberg is very much into homages to other directors like Serling and um, I don't know Hitchcock and you know Kubrick, which he was a huge he was a big fan uh, friends with and stuff like that. So in the end, what is your overall feeling? I, like I said, I told you kind of what I felt. I, I liked the episode a lot. I think it was you know a much marked improvement over the last week's episode because I think the characters are much more interesting. I think Maury Hamilton as Mr. Death is actually one of the highlights of the episode and one of the standout characters of the Twilight Zone because I think it's just a very unique take on the Death character himself. But um, overall on the episode, you said you liked it, but what it, after re-watching it, what is your overall feelings? I, I, you know, since we're doing this, you have a tendency to kind of look a little bit deeper and obviously mm. like small things and it's obviously plot driven convenience, you know, the way that the little things go with the little girl, but I gained a lot of respect for this, like the back and forth between death and, and Lou and kind of that whole back and forth. And I mean, it was kind of a battle of wits to see who could outsmart who, and, you know, in the end they walk away as friends and, you know, Lou kind of embraces what's going on. He doesn't fear it. He sees death as a friend and they go forth together. And I don't know, I think that whole, there's a lot to be learned from that particular aspect of things. And, and there's, the, there's the idea of sacrifice and, and putting others before yourself. And I, there's a lot of, I think that there's a lot of good messages in here. And I think all of, you know, there, there's a very few Twilight Zone apps that don't have some kind of a message, but this kind of message always stands out as something kind of special. So yeah, it's um one thing that's interesting is these episodes that deal with like two characters for the as major characters in the episodes are some of the most fascinating because for instance a game of pool is all about a man who thinks he's better having to come to terms with he's just another person in the mix of everything else. And that's what I really like about episodes like this. It's just you give two characters a script very pared down. It's not like the monsters are doing Maple Street or uh to eat man was it to, uh, to serve mankind to serve man things of we, we already know what happens to that but <laughs> it's a chance it's a chance for just two <laughs> yeah exactly uh <laughs> it's it's just a chance for two characters two individuals to have you know a sparring match a back and forth with really interesting intriguing dialogue and i really respect that and those are some of the like those episodes are some of the favorites that you know end up coming up in the series so um overall um like i said great episodes so with that said uh we'll end the episode with do you believe that this episode was better than the last episode yes or no i I think so i i think it's it's it hits on a different level than the last episode like Mm. the last episode was you know one guy facing internal fears you know, I guess this one does too, to some extent, you know, it, it, it kind of covers a fear of death, a fear of, you know, what lies next, a fear of change to some extent, but yeah, this one, I mean, the message in this, like you say, it's obviously more complex than the last episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, this has always been a fave. So, I mean, by virtue of that alone, it's one that I'm going to say, yeah, I, I really appreciate this one on a deeper level than what I do, uh, with where, uh, where is everybody? 
exactly yeah i agree um it's just it's a much more fascinating much more interesting story to me personally than the the last episode which is not taken away from the last episode because it was still a great episode oh yeah i just think i just think overall the two characters are much more in-depth and intriguing i guess you could say so very much so but with that said that is pretty much it um next episode will be of course uh mr denton on doomsday which uh is their like you said their first western um has martin landau in it which is cool as um i see doug mcclure gene cooper all kinds of people yeah bill Irwin. i think there's some names you might recognize but it's definitely martin landau because he uh pretty well-known actor that passed away recently so but with that said uh i think that'll do it on this episode one for the angels um triv with that said where can they find you if they want to find your content all right well i just uploaded a new uh, video called the stuff you can find me over at trivial theater here on youtube you can also find me on twitter at trivia underscore chick awesome and uh like i said uh you know big deal hopefully don't you know fall in a bathtub again or fall in <laughs> a bridge or something like that and end up in no the please don't zone. do that <laughs> we just started this thing <laughs> i know hey that's why you have a uh, jacob coming up you can uh, have him take over <sighs> if i it. fall off the bridge no you <laughs> this is kidding. this is you you dork jeez i know and I'm massive kidding. congratulations even though the video that you were figuring out was going to be your thousandth video uh, you know <laughs> it's memorable i guess <laughs> yeah it's just ironic it's ironic that the the video that is your like big video for that you know the big milestone is the one movie that you don't know if it's gonna be any good or not so (laughs) we'll see how that works out but that just means you can rip into it extra hard if it's bad or praise it to high heavens if it's good there you go it's exactly true 1000 episodes (laughs) this movie sucks It's one for the devil, oh. one for the one for the garbage pile if it's bad, or one for the angels if it's good. Uh, there you go. Uh, anyways, you can reach me at uh, Movie Emporium on Twitter as well as my YouTube channel, which is of course Movie Emporium, where I have all the content that I have and wares and whatnot. I also sell shirts and T-shirts at I don't remember what the I have to remember what the site is, but. <laughs> I've not is sold anything yet. So, or is it Redbubble? Uh, it's, I think it's like spring. I think it's called Spring now. Ah, but cool. yeah, it's Movie Emporium for Spring or whatever it is. So, <laughs> but with with that said, we'll see you on the uh, next episode of uh, Twilight Zone, which is uh, Mr. Dent on Doomsday. I forgot this already. <laughs> um, but with that said, uh, we will see you uh, later in the Twilight Zone. Peace out, everyone.